know. It just was a phrase in my head. Soul warriors. Literally while I was setting up the session. Maybe that's the phrase we can use instead of spirit animal. Remember, we're not allowed, we can't use that anymore. So maybe soul warrior is good. Okay. Who is your soul warrior? Who is mine? Mm. At this point, I don't know. Maybe red man. <laughs> um, you know, I really like that actor, Adam Driver. <laughs> and I heard a TED talk with him the other day where he was a Marine. Oh, yeah. Like an right. actual Marine who like dislocated his back, like mountain biking or something, and then went into acting again. Kind of makes sense maybe why Kylo Ren is so believable, you know? Who is it that always, who's the TV host who's like in love with it? Him, who's always like, there's a TV gushing. host in love with Adam Driver. Yeah, it's like Corbett, 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 or somebody like that. James Cor- Corden. Why can't I say Corbett? James Corden? <laughs> Corbett. James Corbett. <laughs> Why can't I say that? I think your wires are getting crossed. Anyway, welcome to the longest intro of going off track. This is one world. giant intro. That's what this is. <laughs> Today's an interesting day, though. Uh, it's funny how this works with Gaslight Anthem because I feel like every couple months it's like the, it's some anniversary of something and we have, like, the best fans who are always, like, you know, being like, yo, it's, this record's this old. And today is, like, the 11-year anniversary of a record called American Slang. Which is cool. The, the thing it's making me think back on is when we were recording that, like somewhere around that time, you know, like things were going well on the road, but we weren't like established at home, you know, like nobody had like settled into like real houses or real situations yet. It was, we almost couldn't, you know, like we're just gone so much and we needed somewhere to write that record because we never really had like a home base like that. And we asked our friend Kyle Rogendorf who would leave every day early to go to work, both him and his wife, if we could just go to their house every day while they were at work (laughs) and write the record. Nice. (laughs) Which was down in like South Amboy, Parlin, New Jersey, which if someone like you went down there, you'd probably be like, where the fuck am I? Why are there so many bowling alleys, strip joints, and beer places and a two-mile, <laughs> you know, area? Like, right. it's a strange place to commute every day. And, uh, yeah, but it was, like, this really great experience. I, I've realized something about myself, which is that I don't, I don't like pick up on situations when they're happening and I don't feel they're special or cool. I just, I just roll along and kind of adapt with everything. I think it's a defense defense mechanism from someone who had to kind of take care of themselves as a youngster. You know, you like, you never get too high. You never get too low. Like it's kind of, right. you stay right in the middle and everything's kind of safe there, you know? But I look back on that one. I'm like, what a cool experience, you know, like just driving there every day, there's this like little shitty, like, I mean, shitty in the nicest way, sandwich shop called Big Wally's that just had these 
disgusting, like fat boy specials every day. I even had to stop going to big wallies <laughs> after a couple of weeks and start brown bagging it. But <laughs> I think like when I think back, I don't know if that's like our best record or anything, but I do think, I think it's like the tightest record. When I listen back, I think it's when like the band was probably like at like peak performance, you know? And right. And I think that probably has something to do with it. Just literally, you know, so many uh, bands these days are writing songs by like swapping files and, you know, putting stuff together. It's real. It's really like a construction. But there is something to banging away a song for like the 40th time after you've been sitting in the same basement for like a month. Like it starts to take on kind of like a new discipline and you can see it in different ways, you know? Um, yeah. So did you, you obviously brought gear to their house? Yeah. Like you took brought, over the basement or something? Well, that's a cool thing about Kyle. Kyle is a lifelong music addict, guitar uh, tech guy, and former like floor manager of a guitar center. So like oh. Kyle's basement is like, there's a reason like his house was a good place too. He yeah. even he barely plays drums, but he's so obsessed with like eighties cock rock. He has like a fourteen piece kit oh, with like little symbols and rotos and like the whole fucking deal. Right. So yeah, like it, it was kind of perfectly set up for that, you know. But it, it's kind of cool now because you know Mercy Union is writing a record and going in next week to record and. I kind of had forgotten that feeling of being like uh, completely absorbed and consumed where everything else that's going on is absolutely secondary. You know, like I forgot what that feels like when that happens. And it's because like, I'm terrified to not do great, which, which is like this driving motivation that has been like taking me for so long, you know? But what's cool about this one is I'm seeing it in layers now. I think I figured it out my songwriting structure is in three parts. Maybe yours is the same. I'll, I'll say it for you. So there's first, there's just construction, right? Like there's just literally timing parts and like getting this thing on a map where like this goes here, this goes where, and this is how the transitions feel. And now we have like a song. That's step one. Then step two is when you can really focus in on like the parts themselves and write them exactly what they need to be matching up with what everything else is. But then it doesn't stop there. For me, I need to get into section two. I need that whole structure and those parts to become almost totally second nature. And then I go to step three, which is like the nuance, you know, like, like little kick drum patterns, fills that match with vocals and little guitar leads and just those weird little movements and things like all the groovy little like minutiae of it. And I think that's why I get so over-obsessed is because if I don't get deep into step three by the time I go into the studio, I'm scared of making one of those like lifelong mistakes. Like have you ever had something on a record that you just like hear for the rest of your life. And you're like, that ain't right. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I only 
If I only was like a little sharper that day, if I only had one more week with that song, like then this thing wouldn't be on this record that's going to bother me for the rest of my life, you know? So I think having that experience, I've learned to try to immerse as fully into step three as possible to reduce those variables, you know? Well, I've played with a lot of people who I think kind of start with step three. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I've played with I've played with people who think that you need to experiment, <laughs> you know, in a room full of people. Oh, which right. Like, yes. You know, like before you get the structure of the song down. Not a lot. I shouldn't say that, but it's happened. And the goops weren't like that. <clears throat> but I have been in that situation. And uh, yeah. We were definitely pretty, uh, we definitely were about getting the bones down first. But I also, I feel like, you know, what you're talking about, step three is the one step that always gets, you know, I mean, traditionally that's, you know, you don't tour your material until after you've recorded it, which is always what bands lament that like, it's kind of the backwards way to do it, you know? Right, right, right. Um, Because yeah, you go in and you record a song before you know it kind of, you know? Sometimes, and yeah. So that's why I think, you know, those little flourishes get left out of a lot of stuff. Unless you have the time to just fuck around forever. Yeah. I mean, that's where, like, you know, I think a lot of people, and we talked about it in the Emil interview, you know, I think one of the things that's really impressive about some of those, like, European records in the 60s and 70s and those kind of trippy albums that they were making is, like, the music is just so like rich and complete, you know, like there's these just like six or seven moving parts that are all like so fluidly playing and like these live, you know, setups. And I, th- I feel like that's like, and I'm not trying to like self-righteous old man it. Cause I, I have nothing against like the music people are making now, but it's like an actual physiological change in how music is being made is affecting how it sounds and how it's written, you know? And yeah. like this digital age of music is, I think, like uh, emphasizing things that like used to not be possible. And then maybe the other things aren't so possible. Like, like uh, do like six 17 year olds have the time and energy to like sit in their garage for six months and write an album or something like are they still yeah well the ability having the ability to record so quickly now is like can be dangerous right right so that's one of the reasons those songs were so complete right is because those people were writing them and pushing them and playing them live for years before they got to record them even sometimes, right? Like, Well, that's the thing. That's why everybody's first record is is so good, right? <laughs> right. Because it's the only record, I mean, if you're a band that gets signed and becomes successful, it's the only record that you ever played before you fucking record it. Right. You know? Yeah. So, like, it's, comp- it's not only do you have the songs down tight, you know what songs are best, you know what ones go over well to an yeah. audience. It's you know, true. it's no mystery that that first record is always the best. You know, people always oh, try totally. to attribute it to all these other reasons like, oh, the pressure of the second record or not having as much time. But it's not, I mean, the time is part of it, but it's because you fucking, the recording was the last part of the process as opposed right. to the first. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to why the second is harder. I do think the pressure element has to play a role in it because well, yeah, when you're sure. writing your first record and you're like in your room and you're coming up with this stuff and you're like by yourself and there's literally like no expectation. I don't know. I think maybe that's what makes or breaks the people who are going to like stay in the business for a long time and the people who aren't are the ones who know how to adapt to that change, you know, yeah, or absolutely. operate like that on a daily level anyway, that it kind of works for them, you know, like, like someone who gets up and has to write a song every day is just better suited for it. Right. Yeah. No, it's true, man. It's the difference between, you know, I hate to use the word professional, but like, that's kind of what it is, man. Profesh. Mad profesh. <laughs> So, all right, one more hypothetical till we get into these questions. I need your opinion since you grew up like a mountain man. <laughs> all right, so I went, you know, my dog is older now, just to be clear. He's 10, he's like 10 and a half. He's always had little legs, you know. He's, he, he's been like an exceptional outdoorsman and hiker for his size his whole life. So, you know, I push him hard. And I had one of those days where we were just cooped up in the house all day. And it was like 6.30. And I was like, yo, I'm driving to this park and me and Wally are taking a hike, you know? And I was kind of real like quick and, you know, uh, had a little maybe too much bravado about it. And we get out there and I don't bring a phone. I don't bring water. Like, so all I have is my utility tool and my dog uh, and you know we're on the trail we're cruising and i know this trail and i'm like all right we stick to this loop wally should be good and then i see like the secondary loop and i'm like i was just feeling it i was like all right we got we're in the woods like i'm like let's go for it wally like this park's not that big you know so we hit the secondary loop or what i thought was a loop and we're going we're going. And, you know, the first like half hour of it, I'm like, I'm jamming. I'm like, I'm like looking at trees. I'm having epiphanies. I'm like full on John Muir, like an outdoor naturalist with my dog, like really feeling great about it, you know? And then I hit a certain point where I'm like, uh, okay, I see like the sun, it's, it's going to get dark fairly soon. Like, it's like, after seven, you know, when you're in the woods, like you lose light pretty fast. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's getting dark. And I'm like, I've never done this trail before. I don't even know if it's a loop, really. I just thought it was, but it doesn't <laughs> seem like we're going around. And then it gets in my head and I'm like, oh, shit. Like, uh. so we walk like another 10, 15 minutes where I'm like, you know, praying for that like little outcrop where you see like your trail pop up again and it just doesn't come and in this time my dog we walk through like pine forest he gets these needles stuck in his paws and he can't walk anymore so i'm carrying like this oh. half wet little dog like trying and i'm like <laughs> and i made like the executive decision i'm like all right wally like i'm like i don't know if this loops we gotta turn around man i'm like we gotta we gotta go we gotta get back so all of a sudden, me and Wally are like, we're hustling. We're hustling through the woods because it's getting dark. And uh, But we keep hitting these pine sections where Wally can't walk, and I'm scooping him up. 
I'm dripping sweat. I'm starting to get pretty like thirsty. And I'm like, all right, we're, we're on this trail. It can't, it's not going to be too bad. It's not like I'm lost in the middle of fucking Montana or something. But if it gets too dark, like we can't walk anymore. Like that's bad. Like, so I'm thinking of like what my plan B is. And all I could really come up with was like, all right, like we go to the closest like creek, we drink some water, we try to find like a little tree outgrowth and we just try to sleep for the night till light comes again. Now, here's my question. I posed this whole story to you for that. What was that? Is that the right logic? Or was I to do was I to do something else, you know? Like well, what did you do? Well, we made it. We made it. <laughs> like we made it out. Like it was it was almost it was really dark. We were dying and we finally hit the part of the trail we knew and I'm like, all right, Wally, well, we made it. Let's get the fuck I, out of here. You're, My, gonna, I, you're always gonna get out. It's not like you're in the I know, you know. but that's not the point of it. <laughs> My hypothetical. Because I need to know for oh, the future. Oh, if you couldn't get out? Yeah, like say do? it got pitch black and I was still like a couple miles off the trailhead. Was my plan what you're supposed to do? What, to go hunker down under a tree? Yeah, just find a little water for me and Wally and then... You could even get by without the water, you know? Like, you know, you don't need water right away. Is it more dangerous to drink creek water than it is to like be really thirsty? Yeah, I think in that situation where you had like not had a drink of water for maybe two hours, it you would might be better not to go for the creek. Okay. Although I guess it depends if you're really deep in the woods and there's no fields around. I mean, creeks are pretty much universally. This isn't totally true because there are creeks that are fed from lakes, but for the most part, they're fed from from springs. Yeah. You know, and as long as they don't run, they don't get runoff from like a field full of cows or something. Um. Theoretically, yeah, they're, it's usually fairly... I mean, they're going to always have bacteria in them, but, like, you've got tons of bacteria in you anyway, you know? I do. I have a lot. You know, I, I believe to, in, like, the 40-second rule. <laughs> I mean, I used to drink from... When I was a kid growing up, I used, we used to drink from the creek all the time that was near our house. Right. But it came down, like, it was totally spring-fed, and it just came down from, like, the mountains. Like, there was nothing Right. It was really going to be in it. You and the other wildling children <laughs> wearing loincloths and, and frolicking. But if it's late, you know, day. like if it's late in the summer and the water's low, then it's going to have more bacteria. Rough. Frog shit. So I don't think any of it's going to kill you. We did make it out. Luckily, I am here <laughs> I to tell the did. story. <sighs> you know, that reminds me of a really funny story similar that I had, but it was a little more, um, it was kind of, I, I hate to, like, I hate to, you know, to overshadow your story, but Please. It, it, <laughs> my, it was when I was in Australia with my wife and we were up in Cairns, you know, where the, it's like where the jungle is. Yeah. And we had gone to the beach on this trail. that was like, I don't know, half a mile. And on the way back, we start, we took like, um, I think we missed, there was two trails. There was one that kind of went straight for about a half mile. And then there was one that went through the woods. And I don't, I don't remember whether we kind of thought it was shorter or whether we missed the short one. Right. 
But we started kind of at sunset on this trail and it was like a four mile hike. <laughs> yeah. And it was through, it was almost all on like um, wooden boardwalk, you know, but this was like where uh, saltwater crocs are, you know, sure that eat people. Yes. <laughs> and like all kinds of other shit. So like it took us like, yeah, it probably took us, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours to get through the whole thing. But most of it was in the dark and um, it was kind of like, uh, she was terrified. I was um, <laughs> pensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it a crazy insane. feeling. It's a weird yeah. feeling. It, to, to, like, to not know yeah. how much further you have to go is kind of. It is. I've been there in other situations. It's 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 this it's disorienting. I guess I don't know what the word. Well, is. and then you start like it's the hypotheticals. You know, I remember when Gaslight was recording handwritten. Um, you know, by that point, like you know, we had a recording budget and we were all able to like, you know, oh no, this is recording Get Hurt. So we even had a, you know, a healthier recording budget at that point. And like, um, but no one was hanging out. We all have like different apartments in this like condo complex down there. It's like this weird fucking thing, you know? So on a Sunday, I was like, someone want to go hiking with me? You know, like <laughs> we've been sitting in a studio all week and everyone's of course like, no, um, so I drive like 20 minutes out of town, actually like right out of town. It's a cool thing about Nashville is like, you're literally like 30 seconds out of town and you're in like beautiful mountain ranges and shit. Right. And, you know, I find like a really nice trail and, you know, same as me and Wally the other day, I guess I don't learn my lesson. I didn't really do too much research going into it. I'm like, it's just me. I could walk all day. And <laughs> But I remember towards the end, like, you know, you're like going down and up hills and you're like, all right, this is the last one when you realize it's not. And then the hypothetical start where it's like rock drummer lost, <laughs> and, you know, fat, like yeah. rem remains of rock drummer found <laughs> at, you know, Nashville area park. He's he, he left with nothing but basketball shorts and uh you know, like a uh, schedule well, it, for the double A national team or something like <laughs> it. I mean, it happens, right? It really happens. So I know. I know. It's a real thing. That's it's the, real thing. that's the real downside to being an empath in life. It's that there's nothing that happens to anyone else that you can't imagine happens to you, you know? And then when it's in the context of like the rock and roll band, it makes me feel even stupider, you know, like, like, I remember when we, we did this Soundwave Festival in Australia and we were sharing flights with like Rob Zombie and like Jared Leto, like all these like really like famous people on the flight. Right. And one of the, you know, I'm, a, I'm afraid to fly. I don't enjoy it, even though I've done it a hundred times. But one of the things I started to hang my hat on was the idea that like, oh, if like me and my band dies to go and tour from a tour... Like, we're cemented in rock history, you know, at least. The very least, my family's going to be a little better taken care of. Maybe they'll make, like, a shitty movie about us or something. Like, like you, you at least have that part of your rock and roll narrative. But then I'm on this, like, famous person flight going around Australia. I'm like, fuck, like, if this one goes down, I'm, like, matter. way down in the pecking order here, you know, even... 
probably one or two members of my band are even ahead of me, you know, <laughs> like in the newspaper periodical thing. So all I'd be is like a name on a, you know, plaque somewhere. Like I wouldn't get any real love for it. I don't know. Stuff crosses yeah. your mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the wrong flight to go down on. Yeah. <laughs> Fun tour. That was like the cushiest tour I've ever done in my life, probably. Nice. So cushy. That that $29 minimum wage Australians have or something. It does, does make for a cushy way of life. <laughs> in some parts, I guess. Not the whole Fun country. down under. Fun down yeah. under. So... Let's, uh, we got some questions on this question episode. Oh. Do it. So this one comes from Neil. Ye old Neil, friend of the program. And he says, say you have a guest like Emil or the guy from nothing, Dom. It's a really heavy and in-depth conversation. How do you two deal post-interview do you think about the conversation often or do you just close up shop and go about your day? How about you? Let's go you first for that. Uh, I'm a professional. Go about <laughs> your day? That's it? I usually have so much on my mind to begin with. Um, so, yeah, when we're doing these, like, I'm sitting here taking notes all the way through. Yeah. And, like, as soon as that tape stops rolling... Um, I'm all business. You're out. So, yeah. wow. so, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm starting to like think of keywords and type up like a description and like, I'm checking like where the edits are going to be because we turn these over pretty quickly. So sure. yeah, I don't really have time to, uh, to dwell. No time for love, Dr. Jones. I do not. No. See, it makes me think of the analogy. I remember seeing an interview with Ben Kingsley, excuse me, Sir Ben Kingsley a long time ago, <laughs> where he was asked about, like, method acting. And I think right. it was when he did that movie, Sexy Beast. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. And he's so good. <laughs> Better look right, cunt! Like, oh, <laughs> he's so fucking awesome in that movie. And Wow, you really channeled him there. I think <laughs> it was so good. And, uh, and I remember in an interview, they asked him about it, and he's like, no, I'm not a method actor. He's like, that's horrible. He's like, I'm a professional. He's like, I'm an actor, so I live my life, and then when it's time to act, I act. And he was kind of like, I think, dissing like Daniel Day-Lewis a little for right. like, you know, getting like so involved, which is making me think of us two because I'm the exact opposite. I know that's why it works. Yeah, I know yeah. you are. <laughs> I am. I am in it. I'm like hanging out, especially people like he's talking about who like I. Any conversation, and it's one of the reasons I think, like, even in a passing capacity, I could turn some people off. It's because I hate random bullshit. I do. Like, when somebody comes about the weather or the yard or anything basically not sports, I'm like, who the f fucking cares? Like, that's just some shit we have to do to just, like, get by. Like, besides for the actual task of doing it, I don't want any other conversation on it. Like, I don't want to sit with five people, you know, other dads I see at a picnic and we're all talking lawn care, you know? <laughs> I'm like, I want to know, like, how you came up. How did you lose your leg? 
what's that weird job you do? Like, what do you think happens when we die? You know, like, that's actually what I want to talk about because, you know, the window's fucking closing and I got, I got a journey to go on here, you know? So, so I do find it like that. Like when we have a guest like that, I'm, I'm up for like the ride, you know, I want to go on a journey with them. And my wife will tell you that Emil interview fucked me up a little, you know, like, oh, really? yeah, we got into some stuff and yeah, I'm not even acutely aware enough of my own condition to know it's even happening sometimes, but I was fucking deep in it for like a couple days after that, you know? And Whoa. I think it's one of the reasons I like Emil anyway is because of, um, some of the ways he like frames and contextualizes stuff. I even remember when we did the Brendan Kelly one, I'm not supposed to get like, you know, moved by Brendan Kelly. That's not exactly what his MO is, you know, but he was talking about uh, something in the home with his mom and how his mom was this, like had this kind of personality that weaved up and down and that his whole personality was, was framed on like, judging her moods you know and he said that and i had like the exact same thing but never thought about it like that so all of a sudden like i'm on the couch <laughs> you know and brendan kelly is like my therapist i even hit him up afterwards and i think freaked him out you know <laughs> so so yeah uh neil to answer your question i'm like i'm like deep and broody and when it gets down to business like that like it's hard. I'm actually in like a weird state of mind sometimes after we finish an interview. Good man, you're the you're the talent. No oh, stop it. <laughs> All right, off more on Twitter. Okay, we stay yeah. on on the tweet box. We've got one double question, although I didn't see if it was the same person, which was uh, essentially about the hiatus and where did Jonah Bear go. Okay, what's the question? Let's go verbatim for these people. Where and why did Jonah Bear go? <laughs> well, Christian Schwartz on is, Facebook. But let's yeah. tie this in with the Twitter question, which was yeah. uh, what Vicente. was the deal with the break? Yeah. Vicente asked, what led to you guys taking a hiatus from the podcast a while back? And will Steven be on future episodes soon? So, I mean, what led to the hiatus was Jonah wanting to stop for a while yeah um you know like not to just be like i think he would say the same thing um i think it got to a point right where it was like and and i already see it you know like doing these week to week like especially when you're trying to get guests in the studio in new york and doing that whole thing and getting there like it's it's a lot of work um and it's a lot and jonah i think again i don't want to speak for him but i think he had some other things in his head that he needed to search for and go for and grab that wasn't going off track at the moment. So he needed a break, you know? Yeah. There was a bigger picture with, um, like for those of you that don't know, we started doing this podcast at rubber tracks, which was a pretty awesome recording complex Very that cool. I was m managing. Converse um, rubber tracks. Right. It was you know so... Tell people like what it was because it was kind of bizarre, actually. So it was essentially, um, you know, it was sort of this like goodwill 
complex that Converse put together to like so that bands could come and record for free and everybody got a free day and they could do with it as they wanted. You know, some bands would record one song and get it mixed. Other bands would record like three songs and go mix it somewhere else. We had a few bands that would come in and just record live to, you know, mixed straight down from live and like would record like we had one band record 16 songs. <laughs> right. But it also had like a, you know, there was a Studio B that we used to do the podcast in. There was a rehearsal room. There was a huge lounge. Like it was just kind of a hang for anybody in a in a band in Brooklyn. It was pretty cozy. And, uh, pretty cozy was, situation. Yeah, it was the it was definitely the best job I've ever had since I was <laughs> a in a band. <laughs> but and you were uh, you were the entire studio manager, right? Yeah, I managed the studio and also sort of the broader program because it became a little international after that. But uh, it was a great place to hang out. And Jonah lived in Brooklyn and it was just easy for all of us to do it there. And it was in the guests like coming out there. Um, Free shoes. (laughs) So after that, the studio closed in 20, the end of 2016 um, we have a friend at Pulse Music, another Steven, who um, offered Pulse, and we did it at Pulse for a while, but because it was a commercial studio, the logistics weren't as easy, um, so it just, it was really, really kind of seamless doing it at Rubber Tracks, think, and yeah, one thing totally to, changed. One thing to note in that change that I think was huge was that Rubber Tracks was available all day long, Yeah, and most of the podcasts were predicated on the fact that someone was in town right so a lot of come the people over like yeah they after come sound check or they come after yeah. a sound check before the show or something like that do the podcast and go back and now at the studio pulse where we couldn't start until what six or seven in the evening yeah, yeah. we kind of lost that option for the people that were in town randomly yeah. yeah so logistically it became difficult jonah was booking all the guests at that point and um but it was also a bigger picture because Jonah, after we stopped doing the podcast, he completely, he dropped all his social media and literally moved to the mountains where he <laughs> yes. is very happy now. Very happy. We still are yeah. in, in touch with him and yeah. Um, yeah. he's still doing podcast stuff. I think he actually teaches a class up there. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, He's very happy, and um, but so, yeah. yeah, it was. So it that was should a be noted. Sort of, every, every, there wasn't some internal conflict or something like that. Yeah, and 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 at that point, I mean, we really were just taking a hiatus because we were going to kind of regroup and see. He didn't tell us, "Oh, dude, guys, I got to drop off the face of the earth." Right. Um, we just all <laughs> we're going to take the summer off and figure it out. Because, yeah, as great as Pulse was, it, none of us were really uh, into doing it there. It just was. It wasn't convenient. I think but, we um, knew it was an unsustainable model. Yeah. Repulsive. So, yeah. yeah. So then whatever, like, you know, Benny and I wanted to do something and we were going to try and do like just another podcast. But then we realized like, why? You're, you're, well, yeah. You were a host. I remember I had that concept, right? The, yeah. the, the topical the re- concept. So this is where it ties into going off track for me. Is obviously, you know, I loved, I don't know, from when I started doing it, I just really liked the whole thing. I liked being around it and it was fun. I've always really been drawn to Jonah. I still am, you know, like he's just a very 
to me, a very charismatic and warm person that I like being around, you know? Is he um, the soul warrior for the podcast? I think so, honestly. <laughs> and he was definitely a lot of the comic relief. I mean, that's part of when we're in those like a meal interviews and stuff. I know somewhere in there, Joan would have like a one liner, you know, or something like to kind of, you know, Jerry Seinfeld thing. I don't have stuff like that. You know, he's a, he's a born entertainer. Uh, but I think, um, you know, and then I really took to like, once I started sitting in on those interviews, I loved like, I really loved like doing research on people. I know it's like a weird thing, but like, even when you guys were asking me to just, hey, just come, come hang out and, and guest host. And I'd have like two pages of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like detailed notes. You're like, dude, like, take this seriously. Oh, I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to do a bad job, you know? Um, yeah, even Jonah, the writer, was not doing anything like that. No, he never came into <laughs> stuff. I was like, fast. He's, you guys were like Jay-Z. You were just like going in there. I was like, how do you even? It's amazing, you know? Um, but the idea I had was... And you'll even notice it if you listen back to the Laura Jane Grace interview. Uh, that was like, I think the first one back was when I was still kind of hammering in this idea that like, I was going to take a concept. The first one was going to be the machismo of Arby's ads and using that as the, you know, mirror to, uh, the issues with toxic masculinity and culture and stuff because I found the Arby's ads so offensive. So the idea was that I would interview many, many different artists about the same thing, try to get them going on it, and then piece together episodes where four, five, six different artists are giving you their take on one specific thing. What I quickly learned, particularly in that Laura Jane interview, was that she could give a shit about Arby's and this ad and the thing I was hammering on, <laughs> But then we had this like awesome hour long conversation after that wound that was kind of just like a going off track interview anyway. So when we were, that's when I think you brought up like, all right, so if it's just that, why don't we just do going off track? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess we do already have a podcast and we could just (laughs) (laughs) keep doing it. So that's when we decided to like, uh, you know, speak to Jonah and Steven, even make sure they'd be cool with it, um, which did happen. And then, yeah, we shouldn't dismiss Steven because it, I, yeah, and Steven at, during the rubber track at the end of the rubber track, kind of like when you were transitioning to becoming a host, Steven was transitioning out. Like he had right. moved out to New Jersey. He had gotten another, a job and like, he was kind of out of the picture and he really wasn't, on any of the shows for like the last year and a half at um, Rubber Tracks. Yeah, really, I was kind of filling in for him, I guess. Yeah, you were. And then the funny thing is is that Pulse was actually, that kind of brought him back on the show because he was able to get in at night. But it was still not really, it was a big commute for him. So that wasn't really an option that we were, you know, all going to do it without Jonah at that point. Um, Even Steven, you know, this this was discussed. Even Steven. Even Steven said, maybe we should take a break. (laughs) So yeah, Uh, so that's why we took a hiatus and how we started again. And uh, 
All love to Jonah and Steven, fine human beings. And Steve. Steve was real cool. He helped us out. Yeah. Steve Rowalski, who was the guy at Pulse that pulled us in and kind of became a co-host there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'd have a room full of hosts. I know. (laughs) I always felt so bad if we had like a young woman or someone. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is not intimidating. (laughs) Sit on the couch and let us stare at you. (laughs) Come to the middle of Manhattan at 8 o'clock at night. Take a creepy elevator up like <laughs> nine flights in a weird building to a studio to sit in a room with five like half shaven men like just <laughs> ogling and asking you questions. I don't know. That always made me feel weird. It's it's funny. You can probably attest to this. I don't know how much, but uh, kind of nice studios in Manhattan have creepy elevators. Oh, the like, worst. Isn't that true? Like it's like so a hilarious. thousand percent true. Yeah. My friend, my buddy, Matt had just been, he, he works at like a, uh, a jingle factory, but like a really nice one, you know, like this right. gigantic studio where each of the writers have their own section. Very, very cool. And, uh, he helped me write the, the music for the tune up. I went in there and like jammed some stuff and he put it together for me. And then he had some other stuff for me to do. So I was going to this place and often when a New York elevator is that creepy, I'll take the stairs. Like I don't even care, you know, like, you know, you've seen me in these situations going to your apartment. (laughs) And, uh, but this, it was like on the like 19th floor or something. And this guy's like a weed smoker. So he's up and down this thing like nine <laughs> times a night, you know, like because he can't smoke in the building. Right. And it was one of those times I just had to like fully acquiesce. I'm just like, all right, you need to work. You need to live your life. Like it's just an elevator, you know, it wasn't easy. Though. I didn't <laughs> like that thing. All right, let's move on. So I want to talk. This question's fun. Do you all like Scott? Oh, just yeah. getting trolled so, yeah. by the Ska website? I didn't know that existed until now. <laughs> the Ska Twitter is at Ska or Nah, and it's a never-ending quest to find out who likes Ska. It's got 3,500 followers. They're doing good. So uh, answer the question, Brad. Do y'all like Ska? Yes, I like Ska. You do? I feel, yeah, I, come on, it man. surprised me. Ska. I thought you were going to go, go haterade on me. Ska is like, it's like, it's you're gonna like have, you're ABBA. Gonna do the old, you're going to do the old man thing, aren't you? It's like ABBA. It's like, you know, eventually everybody gets mature enough to admit that they like, they like an ABBA song now and then. Oh, I see. Okay. Like Ska, but you got to remember too that like, I remember the second incarnation of Ska when I was which, a kid. Which was what? You know, like, like specials and, and like, yeah. Like, which to me is that ska, you know, it's not, it's not the nineties ska bands. Right. Um, but then, you know, as everybody who knows ska knows that ska started in the sixties and that right. was the, the original ska. But yeah, for me, it's like, and those bands are fucking undeniable. I love Oh yeah, bands. it's great. Absolutely. And, and I like with those albums, especially when you go like deeper and older, I like how you're literally like listening to people like invent a style of music, right? Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah, kind of yeah. cool. Like some of it's so weird and so badly recorded. You can almost like, 
just smell the smoke over the whole session, you know? But it's just the coolest sound of <laughs> stuff, man. But ska is like anything. It's the purists that end up ruining it for everybody. The fashionistas and the fucking... <laughs> yeah, but aren't the fashionistas the all part of that second generation you're talking about? Like, like that's the that's white yeah. ska, right? Like, but when I feel like suspenders was... and you know fucking shit, like when right. tied into like ska. that's white ska, right? But at least in America, like that was really just like kind of an offshoot of like the new wave punk rock kind of like pop music thing. Whereas then. I feel like the third wave of ska was when people were like, oh, no, this is ska. This is my thing. Like, mm. This is not punk rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it got yeah. a little more puritanical and, like, you couldn't... I think that's when it got obnoxious for everybody else. Sure. That's when sure. it got a bad name. I think, yeah. I think people my age who came out of my scene almost got, like, like ruined by the third generation. You know, yeah, that's that's Cause, what I'm because it took me like hearing some. You know, I have nothing against like Wes and Jake or Real Big Fish. I know how important those bands are to some people, but they meant nothing to me at the time, and actually kind of turned me away from Sky. I think because I didn't even know what the old shit kind of even sounded like. You know, right? I remember hearing Mirror in the bathroom for the first time on the Gross Point Blank soundtrack. Remember okay. that John Cusack movie where yeah, I think yeah, yeah. he actually curated the soundtrack and it's got a bunch of good songs on it. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, Mirror in the Bathroom. So there was a while where the only Sky I listened to was Mirror in the Bathroom and the Mighty Mighty Boston's. If you can <laughs> call them Sky, I don't even know at this point. Right. And then like, like you said, like ABBA, I think that's a good, I think that's, that happens to like a lot of people my age as you go back and you're like, Oh, Scott. Okay. This shit's cool. Yeah. I get it. So what's like fourth generation Scott? Is that what's going on with like machine gun Kelly and all them right now? I guess I don't feel like it's been labeled yet, but maybe I'm not paying attention. Yeah, I'm sure it's here. I mean, well, I think friend of the show, Jeff Rosenstock seems <laughs> to be like, Fourth wave ska. <laughs> I don't know if he's fourth wave, but he's certainly like some kind of like unabashed torchbearer right now, especially what he yeah. did with No Dream and turning that into a ska record. So like, that's why I love Jeff. Can we have a short Jeff appreciation segment where the reason I love... I love you. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I love Jeff is because I talk to Jeff a lot. And I love the fact that, like, I find out about this stuff the same time everybody else does. <laughs> you know, which I love so much. I love people <laughs> who just do things instead of talk about things. And Jeff yeah, is, like, yeah. the ultimate. Like, the idea that just in his spare time, he just pieced together his album in ska. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's so great. So I think... To answer your question, sure, I like Scott, but mostly because of Jeff Rosenstock. <laughs> All right, let's stay on Twitter. I, I, like, I like that answer. <laughs> I wrote a question in. Yeah, Are, I saw that. Do you going to answer your question? I'm always wearing pants. <laughs> I am. I'm barely even wearing shorts. I'm weird like that. Like, like once the day starts and I got things to do, 
I need to be in jeans or else I just like don't feel right. It's like I'm not wearing my uniform, you know? Like, what? I know you're probably in nothing right now. Silk? <laughs> I got shorts on. Little shorts? <laughs> I got my shorts on. Let me ask you this. I make fun of my friend Andy Diamond. He never wears socks with his little shorts. And I say that he does it to make his legs look long. <laughs> do you do that? Uh, I wear like, you know, like shorty socks or whatever. Little quarter lengths. I don't like wearing shoes without socks. I don't like that yeah. feeling. So I'm even, know. I'm pretty weird with clothes. Even, <laughs> this is where, again, I'm opening up the door. The only one who knows how big of a freak I really am is probably like my brother and my wife. Um, when I leave for a tour and I start on a new bus, I don't take my clothes off to sleep until like probably a week into the tour. It's a weird to, thing. It's like, you have to get your scent on the bed. First. Something about, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about like marking <laughs> your territory, I guess. So I'll like go in the first night. I'm literally in like a hoodie up. Like, no part of my skin touches the bump at any right. point. And then usually, right. like, two, three days in, I'm just like, ugh, it's too hot. And I'll just, like, pull off some socks. I think feet usually come first. Maybe I'll go to T-shirt. And then, like, three weeks in, I'm just, like, naked, sweating in there like it's mine and no one else should ever come. But there is this, like, process to make, like, my body feel comfortable. It's weird. Yeah, you got to get your... You got to get your scent on it. Makes sense. Maybe I should just pee on it, get it going fast. But to answer my own question, I am always wearing usually pants when we do this because I feel like a schlub wearing basketball shorts going to work, you know? Like, <laughs> I even, you notice that actually to, to go off track even a little more. Do you notice when you're like taking your kids to something? Maybe this is a suburb thing because you're a city guy and you, you're all trying to look cool. What's up with, like, grown adults just wearing, like, fucking athletic gear all day long? Ugh. What's the deal with that? Well, so Manhattan is nice because there's a little more fucking pride here, I think. Yeah. (laughs) There's a little more keeping it together. So, yeah. No, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of that look, that attitude, that, like, to me, it's the surrender. It's, they've all made it fashion, so now they can say that it's not surrender. Right. It's surrender. It's like since they're paying a certain amount of money yes. for their sweatpants now, yeah. that they're like, okay. Yeah, and I exactly. go, where I'm from, you start leaving the house in basketball shorts, that's fucking red flag. You know what I mean? Like, that's bad around me. Like, where I'm from, you start doing stuff in basketball shorts. You're like three weeks away from like diabetes and your first offense. Oh God. Cause that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens in white trash, New Jersey. When you convert to basketball <laughs> shorts, it's not. So that's why I stay in jeans. You know, <laughs> I see these guys and they come up uh, to like track and field practice and like their under armor outfit. Yeah, like, yeah, what are you no, fucking not, Lawrence Taylor? Like, what are you fan. doing? And I'm the weird one, right? Because I'm in black jeans. I'm like, at least right. I wore clothes to my kid's fucking function. You have, you know? You've got some fucking dignity. That's Benny. what I'm saying. Jesus. What is with these yuppies, man? All right. 
What's the next one? I got I got to read. You you got one because I got I got a gyms. I got to read. Oh yeah, get the gyms. Yeah, get the gyms. Gentleman Jim, the best. Thank you. Who you've heard us discuss over and over again, Jim Norton. Look him up. Fantastic guy. Uh, Trivia host. (laughs) Trivia current trivia host. Now what's what's his show again? Uh, I should know it. Forget the name. You're a bad friend, Brad. You're a bad friend. We'll we'll try and link to it. Look look up Jim Norton. Gentleman Jim. Anyway, world's greatest road manager. What's his question? Uh, What is the subject that Brad would incorporate into every interview that Benny has no interest in? Ah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You answer that question. No, that's for you. You tell me. You tell me what you think. No, 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 no. That is for you to answer to guess what you think I'm thinking. So go on. (laughs) I'm waiting. Um, Did you ever hear of the goops? <laughs> well, you talk about that enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I it varies for every guest, man. You know, I like to. Um, There's not a I lot like I won't prod, talk about. There's not a lot. I do like to prod guests for sort of inappropriate stuff sometimes that I think even you find inappropriate. Maybe you think so? You know, okay. Stories. I've stopped doing it as much as I used to. I actually I did, did think of something that makes me uncomfortable when you do. <laughs> I thought of one thing. Okay. Sometimes when you tell stories from like the 80s or 90s, <laughs> you say like, and there was this really hot chick <laughs> or something like that, where I'm like, what? Wait. Like my little like 2021 little red flag goes up. Uh, I'm like, Brad. She was so hot. I'm like, you kind of sound like Johnny from Karate Kid right now. You sound a little, a little ladies machismo when you go, bro, I was at the dentist office and there was the hottest chick nurse. (laughs) You know that that's, that's 65% legit. And that's 35% me prodding you a little bit. Oh, cause you know, I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that might be the closest thing that you do that I go uh, about. But the, like when you get in like tape op land and stuff, I mean, it's like second nature to me. I've been hearing fucking nerds talk about that stuff <laughs> over my head for like 25 years. I'm like, what, nerd, nerds? Okay, nerds, nerd stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's probably, that would probably be it. That's a good question, Jim. Yeah, it probably cool. would be that. It would have to be you being like really mean about something, <laughs> like really like unforgiving or mean about something. Where I think I'd finally draw the line because I'll talk about anything, you know. I, I know you. Will. I don't yeah. think there's anything I won't talk about. But if yeah, if there was a guest on who started like opening up about something or being cool, and you were kind of being a dick, you're like, oh yeah. Like something like that, then I'd be like, "Hey, Brad, when, shut the fuck up! I'm coming to you." When, when have I ever even come close to that? Never, never, <laughs> never. That's a good question, Jim. See, this is why he's the best trivia host there is. Yeah, for real. All right, we should have been saying where these are coming from. Well, I think yeah, we, we did. Kind of happened. Okay, we did Neil. So this is from ALZ eighty one. Don't know what that means. At I don't know. I don't know who this book. Music, dancing, books, beaches, mountains, snowboarding, and United. Okay, so they're probably from England. Um, they say, what is your favorite Scotch IPA, respectively? 
And what is the best scenario in which to enjoy these delectable elixirs? So what's your favorite IPA and what's the best scenario in which you can enjoy it? Ooh. Um, right now, as far as IPAs, I've actually been cooling off a little from the IPAs and going like with just some pale ales and even some pilsners. I think, you know, you have to like kind of give your tongue a little rest, I think. You're sick of just IPAs. sucking down bread out just, of a bottle. Yeah, they're just a little, it's a little intense. The flavor's yeah, a little intense, you know? It is. See, you're finally um, going to my my team here. But I do really like um, Tiny Juicy IPA, which is a Brooklyn... What's the name of the brewery? I can't think of it. It's a Brooklyn um, microbrew that does tiny, juicy IPA. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I like that. And where's the best place for you to enjoy it? What's, or what's the best scenario? I like this. It's not the best place. It's, it's a larger question. It's what's the best scenario in which to enjoy? So this is place, time. You could really Well, always, always, always is in a pint glass, like on a, on a wooden bar. We've got a place <laughs> down the street. That's very, you know, you love public. a bar. You do. You yeah, love a bar. And I like you love, a pub. You like like, like a, a dingy pub. old pub. Don't you? Yes, dude. Yeah. I love when I went, whenever I go to London, I spend as much time as possible. Do you the think there was people in your lineage <laughs> you that were like hardcore <laughs> pub, old school pub crawlers? It's yeah. just in you. But I mean, that's what pubs are over there. They're like little family, like, you know, like everybody hangs out in the pub. It's like a social scene. Definitely the best food you can find in England. Yeah. Um, That's the best. But like of late, I would say that, you know, since it's only now that these places are opening back up, you know, like I really found like when I was doing that, uh, that Windows gig where I was doing basically doing carpentry all day. And on my feet, like, really, it was kind of a ball-busting job. Um, yeah, just coming home and popping one over here on the balcony was just like, I mean, no beer tastes better than when you're f- just completely wiped. That's true. Man. See, when you need a beer, I think beer tastes best when you actually need to be refreshed. And that's why I don't like IPAs, you know? Because mm. I'm like, I'm actually thirsty. I'm thirsty right now. I want right. a cold, refreshing beverage. I don't want a sourdough bread Vitamix into a fucking bottle right now. Um, As a rule, alcohol is not a good thing to drink when you're thirsty. That's true. That's true. All right. So take away, though, real life walls here. Because all he says is the best scenario in which to enjoy. So that means you could create something. If you want. I'm going to give you a scenario that I've lived through. Okay. Does not involve an IPA. Okay. Um, before I got married and had kids, one of my best friends, Greg, and I would often go camping, fishing. He's a real man's man. He's got all the gear. And one thing that he always brought along was a little fucking like martini set. <laughs> and we would all make... Right. So we'd be sleeping in tents yeah. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and he would always bring two nice glasses, not the stemmed ones, but he would bring two little like yeah. glass glasses. And, you know, you get the fire going, everything's set up, you get some whatever the food's yeah. going to be. And then he would sit there and for the shaker and fucking mix martinis. Yes, I like this, Greg. And in fact, there was one time we were upstate 
And he usually always brings a garnish, you know, usually like he likes dirty olives. He likes to put like okay. multiple olives. Yeah. We, he had forgot to bring olives, uh-huh. but we had stopped at this smokehouse and we had gotten this beef jerky that was like real beef jerky, like really good quality. It wasn't full of nitrates or anything. Right. Um, and he's like, oh, we'll try this. This is all we got. And he ripped like a tiny little piece of beef jerky and put it in each, Sounds good. each drink. And it was actually really good. Yeah. And we dubbed it. The Mantini. The Mantini. <laughs> a little turkey in it. Yeah. I like this Greg. So the, it's very Those classy. were amazing. Yeah. Oh, he is. He's a, he's a, he's a good guy. But um, yeah, that was, that was it, it seemed so insane that he would go to the trouble to bring this, but it was always so fucking worth it. That's awesome. Nice. All right. So to answer the question for me, I don't know. I'm not like a scotch like connoisseur. Especially because of the money. I think that's what, like, with alcohol, it's crazy. It's like, mm. I don't know, the best scotch I've probably never taste, probably won't ever taste because I just can't afford it, right? Like, like pretty much you. every scotch I like has, like, two somethings higher that I can't buy, right. you know? Right. Um, right, right, right. So in my, like, wheelhouse of what I paid for and can afford, I really like Laphroaig. I really like certain. I like McAllen. I oh, yeah. uh, I like Talisker, um, and I like certain Glenlivets. Some of the ages, and I think that puts me in the wheelhouse of liking a smoky, earthy, kind of rich Scotch. You know, um, those are probably my favorites. The only other ones I quite liked are the Japanese ones, which are honestly equally as strong and rich, but they usually have these little bits of fruit kind of nodes to it. That's a little nice. Mm. Um, So those would be my favorite ones, but again, totally based on money and what I can afford, you know, Uh, the perfect scenario. Hmm. It's interesting because I often relate scotch and drinking to like, I'm about to lose my fucking mind. I need a scotch. <laughs> um, so like, <laughs> sometimes it's less about the, per- it's almost the imperfect scenario that, that leads me right. to drinking sometimes. But I think I have a romanticism. I'm not even a big gambler, but I really think casinos are cool. And uh, I even, even after I quit smoking, Like when I met my wife, I was still smoking a little bit. I still had like a pack in my backpack for like emergencies. And my, and my one get out of jail free was anytime I could went to a casino, I could get a pack of cigarettes. That was like, cause you can't not smoke (laughs) while you gamble. Like, come on. Like, it's just insane not to. (laughs) Um, so, but. I like to play roulette and I like to play blackjack, but I hate crowded tables because I like to focus on my cards and what those are singular games or I'm not trying to. And uh, so my deal was always uh, I would like pass out with my wife like pretty early. And then, you know me, I'm an insomniac. So like at one, two, three in the morning, I'd wake up. Then I go down. Yeah, that's my time to shine. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, like yeah. three in the morning, I hit like this dead roulette table. I get a smoke. I get a scotch with fucking nothing in it. 
And I just feel like, I don't know. It's, it's cool. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's a great couple you. hours. It can be a yeah, really yeah. great couple hours. So I've done the same thing and I agree. It's really, it's the time to go. Yeah. If you've never done it, you got to get up in the middle of the night and go downstairs. It's the best. So yeah. I think for my perfect scotch scenario, I'm sure if I thought about it more, I'd find others, but I go with that one. So what about, how do you take it when you drink a scotch? Uh, it depends how good it is. Um, like if I'm just at a regular dive bar, I just take like Jameson rocks, you know, I'll just right. take like straight rocks. Um, if I'm like going a little step up and it's a little nicer, I'll ask like for a rock, right? Uh, you know, just like one little piece of ice just right. to take it off. If it's really nice stuff and I'm at a nice place, I take it totally straight with a water chaser. Mm. So I'll just yeah. Like, I like to drink. I like a Jameson's like that with a yeah, chaser. Yeah. So I'll just like get a nice ice water, have the scotch straight, so I can just kind of sit back and forth. Because I had been at one point years ago, been kind of straightened out by like a serious drinker who uh, you know big on like single malt whiskeys, who said that yeah, you needed to put a little chip in to open up the yes. flavor. Even, even if it was a really nice scotch. It's true. Put it, and even in it. the, when you buy those like fancy scotch sets, they come with a little like uh, eyedropper. Oh, really? Yeah, because you're supposed to take like, I think the same reason you would take like one little piece of ice. You take like oh. five little drops of water just to like cut it just enough. Interesting. Yeah. I could see it. It does do something to the flavor. It makes the flavor of it longer in a way. Yeah. So, all right. This one is tough. This is from Emily Ramsey, fan of the show. Do you have a top three favorite guest list? Uh, Wow. I I mean, it's like picking children, isn't it? Can are we allowed to do this? When I read this, I interpreted it. There's well, I decided there was two ways to interpret it. One is, do you have like three people that you would like basically call back again or that you've called multiple times or like just when you say guest list, that's kind of what mm. I hear. Oh, or okay. the other one is like, what are the, your three favorite guests that you've had? That, I guess there's a third way to interpret it is like, who are the three people you like to get on the show? Yeah. I mean, all right. So for the sake of this, cause I'm not going to go through and be like, this was the best guest we ever had. Cause it's really <laughs> hard. And People bring different things to the table, you know, like, like we said, like some have been absolutely like hilarious and some have been like kind of gut wrenching. You know, that's what I like about the show is that like, we don't even know. So I'm going to go ahead and choose, let's choose our free three friends of the program. Okay. Got to bring them up again. I think Jeff. Yes, definitely Jeff. Jeff sure. is friend of the program, Jeff Rosenstock. <sighs> Man, who comes to mind for you here? I mean, Chris, but <laughs> that seems too easy. Chris yeah. Farron. Um, yeah, too easy. We can't just... These so guys are... Again, can't make an Antarctica are, Vespucci plug here. Yeah, these are kind of like friends of the program, I guess. Um who is someone that you would like, who's someone you could think of that we could talk to like once a month and we would still have plenty to talk about? 
I always thought it'd be great to get Fred Armisen back. I oh, felt yeah. like we were a little bit, you know, not intimidated, but just sort of, you know, stuck to the script with him. So right. whereas like, you know, the guy was in a band, you know, um, like that's somebody that I could see getting on regularly. I think that'd be great. Big um, fan. As far as like a regular that we get on regularly. Yeah. Obviously like Jeff, maybe, um, I don't know. I'd say fat Mike's probably my favorite. He's my favorite to have on just because I find the conversation so like so real and just so like I just find it so rich and nourishing. Okay. Okay. You know? Like (laughs) like just like being covered in like a warm latex blanket, you know? Um (laughs) yeah, I don't know. This is a hard one, Emily. Don't make us choose. Uh I would have to say, in retrospect, you know how like when things happen that are like you know re- like your like your you know like the church burns down the day of your wedding, and Wait, at what? the time it's a tra- it's, it's a tragedy, but then it becomes like sort of legendary, and after ten years, it's like you're glad it happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So I, I would have I, to I point guess. back to the Jesse Camp episode. Uh huh. Were you there that day? No, no. So the Jesse Camp episode, which you should listen to, I don't know how long the actual show, it was pretty long. It was probably Yeah, that shit got like real, right? But that was like a four-hour trip. Oh, really? Like they showed up at the studio and were there for like four hours, kind of like coming in and going out and like, it was, it was, I assembled that from like probably three different sessions all in like this one afternoon where they oh, just, wow. they literally took over the studio and they were interviewing us. Crazy. It was at the time just seemed like a fucking mess. But now that it's well over. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's sort of one of my favorite episodes just because it was just a huge, huge shit show. Yeah, there was a couple of those I remember when we were at the studio where like, it was like, you know, remember J- Jonah would line up, you know, like three guests, right. you know, and then by like the third one, I'm like, what are we even fucking talking about anymore? Like, <laughs> I've just been talking for like five hours. I'm just confused. And then you listen back to it and you're like, oh, wow, that was really great, you know, because we were yeah. just like vibing and jamming, you know? Yeah, you get in the groove, man. So this one comes in from Patreon, Brad. All right. From our old buddy, Nathan Van Horn. I think at this point we can call him Nate, right? I guess. Should we ask him? <laughs> well, I'm asking him right now. I'm telling him. All right. He's Nate, Nate Van Horn. It just sounds... Nathan Van Horn sounds like uh, a frontiersman. You know? Like someone who is like going to like Salt Lake for the first time. And Nate <laughs> right. Van Horn sounds like a baseball player or something. He does. Yeah. So, but this one's for you. It says, let's get Brad to discuss his mysterious past. Now, (laughs) of course, we can't just be like, oh, Brad, here's the floor for you to just discuss many mysterious things. But I think it's a good time in the show for you to regale us with something. Um, 
Now, Isn't this what our patrons pay for every Thursday night when I'm well, getting, we're giving well, a this, tiny, juicy IPAs. This is called a teaser. <laughs> this is a teaser <laughs> for people who are thinking about becoming Patreons. You got any insight? Let's think. For sexual experience? Uh, <laughs> From my dark past? <laughs> Mysterious, they said. Not dark. What's the part of you? You know, you do, you don't talk about family much. Mm. Which I have a feeling there's some, there's some, some thing. No one turns into a, a, a guitar player coming to New York City at like your age. If that was perfect. Um, <laughs> what's mysterious? Who was your first love? Who's your first girlfriend? Your first real one? Not like high school girlfriend. Well, I think a high school girlfriend could be a real heartbreaker. Yeah, I had a real heartbreaker in in college where I think like we both kind of. Yeah, it was pretty fucking amazing. Mm. You know, my first real like, whoa, this is the way sex can be. Mm. Um, and she was a super hot chick. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> cringe, cringe. <laughs> oh, and you know, we both ended up eventually just kind of treating each other like shit over a period of time. Mm. Um, was it one of those ones that was? A little bit based on sexual exploration? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, that was my first, like, kind of, yeah, heart-wrenching situation. Mm. Those ones are weird, aren't they? I remember, I... I, I mean, yeah, I was, like, 19 years old, you yeah. know? Like, like, I was a fucking baby. I had one like that, too, where we dated... And I think, like, we both, like, almost looked at each other, like, a few months into it. And we're like, oh, like, we actually don't like each other at all. Like, just, just we really enjoyed having sex. Yeah. That part was great. So just blinded everything for a while, you know? At that age, that can really, that can really cover for you. For <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's everything, right? Like, it's so hard. I even think about like these great artists, right? Like I'm looking at like Mike Ness and like another state of mind or like Prince or like these people. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like all I could think about when I was like, like half of what I thought about when I was that age was like, how am I going to get someone to maybe like touch my penis? That's not me. <laughs> Right. That was like half the focus, you know? Oh, yeah. Probably more than half. Yeah. And like, <laughs> so the idea that like, I hear about these great artists and stuff who just make this great stuff at like 18. I'm like, oh my God, I was just like this drooling, you know, no, I, I give myself some credit, but it is crazy like how that shifts when you get older, where you just start to see like what's important and stuff. I have a feeling. The fact that we both had that mutual experience like that, that, that probably means we're being raised incorrectly, right? Oh. Not that we, uh, me and you were raised incorrectly, but like how maybe we're all doing it wrong or we're doing it wrong. If like the most like formative time in your life when you're supposed to be like creating things for yourself and avenues and, and really like 
you know, becoming an adult and you're just being guided by this like boner. Yeah. You know, like the, probably like, I bet if we taught, if we taught like sexuality a little more openly and if we were just like a little less like, you know, Christian about it, probably like maybe oh, by yeah. the time people turned 18, it would be less of a, you know, less of a pulling off the bandaid and more of like, a, Oh, this is just like part of life, you know? Yeah. It'd be great if it was acknowledged that like, you know, no matter how PC you are and how understanding you are, like your fucking brain is just awash in hormones and like animal lust. And if that could just be acknowledged, <laughs> it might help. It might right, help a little right, bit. Right. But I agree. Yeah. That knowledge is power. And uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really receive much knowledge along those lines. No, no. That's why I appreciate. I do like, I think about my own past and that's where I really do appreciate that aspect. Many aspects of the me too movement It's just like, even someone as nice is me. I was raised by a single woman. I was taught to really like respect women and not never do anything that wasn't, you know, consensual. Like this is really like hammered into me, you know? And even me, I had to like learn how to be like a little predatory, you know? Like I had to learn how to like pick up someone at a bar. I had to learn how to like do that stuff. And I kind of regret it, you know, like, because the way I was when I was like little was probably like the right way. But then I was like brought into this like very like male macho kind of world, especially the friends I had at that time. Like, um, you know, there was a lot of like some misogyny and homophobia coming out of like some of the crews of people I knew at that time, you know, like, and I think right. even though I was hip to it, you know, you still get dragged into like weird aspects of it. So I'm really happy that that this next generation might might lose some of that because it is it's bad. You know, it's really <laughs> fucking bad. Like, dude, it's this is why I wanted to be in bands is because I, I was no good at pursuing women. I wanted a situation where there might be a chance that they would pursue me. Like, really, that had a lot to do with it. I mean, I love music, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really, like, I kind of realized early, this might be the one place where I don't have to, like, focus all my fucking energies on, like, right. chasing girls. And to, and I got to say, it worked out pretty well. Of all my, like, kind of serious girlfriends, there was only one that I really went after myself. For the but, most part, the rest of them picked me up. Well, I think it's... <laughs> Sometimes maybe blatantly. It's, maybe it's like you, you look at it from a larger picture there, and it's like, it's not exactly like, oh, like, now I'm in a band, and, like, girls like... It's more like you found something that gave you, like, a sense of worth, made yeah, you also, feel okay, you know? like it, That's part of it, but also... It, it sometimes removes the initial like kind of awkward and cheesy conversation of like, Oh, like it just gives you a, like a social introduction. Sort of. I think so. Yeah. Sure. I guess so. But even though that, that goes like for me, that went backwards in a way because like, even when my band started getting 
kind of successful and like uh i always thought it was like really bad for my band to like go make out with someone who is into my band i'm like if i'm not gonna like date this person and eventually like consider it serious i shouldn't do this at all because all that's gonna happen is gonna make out it's gonna be like okay and then, like, I'm going to disappoint this person and my band loses a fan. So I was like, I'd rather just, like, can you just, like, buy a T-shirt and we have a fun conversation <laughs> and, like, not do any of that? Like, Oh, like, my God. That's, <laughs> it's big of you, Benny. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's pretty much you just heard, like, my musical experience, which was like, no, 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 no. I'm still really nice. I won't touch you. Don't worry. Oh. And you're just I got like, to say, I play guitar <laughs> and I get chicks with the biggest bazingas you've ever seen, bro. <laughs> I, I got, you reminded me of something that I want to say because it was funny of that of the girl I was speaking of, my mm-hmm. first sort of heartbreak. She was very styled and like, she was the girl that when she walked into the room, like, you know, she was noticed. Mm-hmm. But we were pretty punk rock because we didn't have any money. And we were always doing this, go to a bar and like, I'd go to take a leak or whatever. And you know, ultimately guys would like hit on her and she'd be like, yeah, you can buy me a drink, but you have to buy my brother one. Too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and dude, I had no problem with that scenario whatsoever. <laughs> How, wait, but did you ever get caught up in the pickle of like someone hanging around and Kind of realizing I, you're clearly not the brother. I don't know how we got away with it. We definitely did it on multiple occasions, especially if we were ever in like an actual club, you know, right, as opposed right. to just a dingy bar, like where we could barely afford the drinks. Like that would happen. We probably just would, you know, if it got too hairy, I suppose we just bailed. See, that's what I love about my upbringing, having nothing to do in New York City, you know? <laughs> my dive bar had a $4 pitcher of Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> we all drank plenty. We had <laughs> plenty of booze to go around, you know. Cigarettes were the hot commodity then. I was like, I remember like anybody whose band was doing good at the time, everyone just was like, yo, could I have a cigarette? You can afford a pack right now. That was the deal then. But the beer, the beer ran free. We didn't have to do All that right. in New Jersey. I have a funny pitcher story that you'll appreciate it because this is a, a, a Manhattan pitcher. Oh. This was... Right before I started the Goops, I was playing with this guy. He was a little bit older. It was kind of like, I don't know. It was, it, it, it was not a band that I would normally have been in. It was kind of a little more professional. Um, and we were looking for a guitar player, and we just couldn't find one. We'd auditioned a couple guys, and nobody was gelling. Like, everybody in the band was pretty cool, and we all got along. And we couldn't find anybody. And after one, like you know, round of bad auditions, we stopped in at this bar downtown called Puffy's Tavern, which is, <laughs> I think, still there. And it's an awesome place. It's in, like, Tribeca. Sean, um, Sean Combs owned it? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and we're sitting there, and there's this guy sitting down the bar. He looks very rock, and, like, he looks cool. And, you know, the singer, the guy who's the singer in this band, he's like, I look at that guy. He looks cool. He's probably a guitar player. <laughs> and he goes and he goes to take a leak or something a few minutes later and he stops and talks to the guy. He goes, comes back. He goes, yeah, he is. He's a guitar player. I told him, oh no. And then he calls the bartender. He goes, he goes, points to him. He goes, buy that guy, you know, whatever that guy wants to drink, 
is Nick's drinks on me. Cool. The guy orders a fucking pitcher of like imported beer, like whatever. Oh on god, on tap like bass. <laughs> and Cody, the guy's name is Cody, the singer. He's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> A pitcher he like of had his number. He was going to call him for an audition. Yeah. He just ripped it up and threw it away. A pitcher of bass? <laughs> yeah, it was like 20 bucks. I mean, this is, bass, like yeah, bass is like 30 years ago. Imported then. That was like yeah, super fancy like, back in the day. It was really expensive. That's oh, not what we were drinking. Trust me. The worst. <laughs> I hate when that happens. That happened to me fairly recently. There was a place in Jersey City called The Worst Bar, which was like, uh, you know, it's really good. It was like... Um, in in-house sausages and they had a really good veggie sausage and like poutines but they had this nice menu of uh drinks and these nice ciders and stuff like that and i think like my kid was like six months old it was one of those like just hellish like few days of like you know when just feel like the no fucking sleep. hulk and you just need to break out of your life you know um <laughs> right and I had like miraculously, I just had this like 30 minute window and I was like, and I was walking around and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I can just walk into this place and grab a drink right now. That's fucking awesome. I haven't done this in forever. And I walk in there and I barely look and I'm just like, yeah, all right, that. And I drink it. And it's like this shitty, like raspberry beer thing that I'm like, not enjoying at all. <laughs> you know, it comes in a goblet and I'm like. Ugh, like, what is this piss? Okay. Glad I didn't order anything I like. Does this beer have flowers in it? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I need to get back. Like, to get Bill. It's like a $45 fucking beer. <laughs> it's like one of those weird, like, things that was just like, a- too. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, and I got to be honest, like, this is like, you know, the bartender should have said something, right? Yes. 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 Right? Yes. Like 100%? Yes. 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 Yeah, I yes. thought so. Because I was like, when something it doesn't is seem like right that. to me that you just let me do that. You know I no, wasn't going to. pretty lame. Like, you see the way I look? I'm not going to enjoy <laughs> what I just ordered. You know that. That's not for me. You know? Like, you're a bartender. You're like a diet uh, anthropologist here. You know that drink's not for me, you know? Like, come on. Yeah, I hated that. Not good. It's yeah, happened to me in the city a couple of times too. Feeling cool, you order a scotch, and then like forty two dollars later, you're like, "Motherfuckers!" You know? How many? Yeah, liquor is tough, man. You got to be careful. It's true. Well, that is not gripping material. Do we have any more questions on the Patreon or Facebook? We're out. I don't see. We any. are out on Twitter. That is all the questions for today. You have any questions well, for me, Brad? I don't have any questions for you. Any comments? Think, um, uh, any ticks? You got any ticks? <laughs> We're working on it. It's getting better. It's improving. <laughs> we got these nymphs around. Uh, what about your baby geese? We still got three of them. They're growing old fast. Mm. Yeah. I saw a heron swoop up and I think eat a baby duck yesterday. So what? Still enjoying the, uh, is that a thing? I, I don't know. We thought this heron only ate fish and crayfish. That's what I thought. The other day I see it swoop down, take three dinosaur leaps, grab something. This is on ground 
and yeah. fly back up again. And my wife saw something big in its mouth. We don't know what it got. Holy shit. Those things. Maybe so. Dude, that, I gotta be honest, my relationship with the heron has changed. <laughs> At first, I resented him. Or her. Or her. I don't know. After I was eating like, the cute baby duck? I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure you killed a baby goose. I'm like watching you fuck with all these animals around here. But now I'm like watching this guy hunt with his long neck and his, he's like. Oh, they're intense. You know, I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, look at this guy go. Look at this dinosaur. He's fucking cool. So um, I'm sorry. You couldn't see that image of Benny. He was a heron. <laughs> sort of like an Egyptian facing forward. Uh, yeah. I would do a screenshot, but I don't think it's going to happen. I thought that was pretty good. Your heron? I think I do a good heron. And I named it after Nick from Mercy Union because he has a very long neck. <laughs> so the heron is now named Nick the heron. <laughs> Luckily, Nick Jorgensen has a good sense of humor and he thought it was funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. The heron successfully hunts and eats baby ducks right through the duck breeding season from the start of spring to the end of the summer months. Eating ducklings regularly throughout these seasons is an essential part of the heron's complex and varied diet. Wow. So we did see it. Goodness gracious. (laughs) And it was a power move, I'm telling you. Looked like fucking... Barry Bonds or like looked like a great athlete. It was it was amazing to see. All right. Well, all hail the heron. All hail the mighty heron. Watch out. We should start some like Freemason shit, like based on the heron. <laughs> there might be already. There probably is. Don't they, don't they appear in Egyptian hieroglyphs? One of the craziest nights I ever had on tour started at an Orioles club. So you never know. But that's another story. All right. Let's be out. That was fun. All right. This was a good one. Nice chatting with you, sir. It was a pleasure. And uh, nice little breakup, actually. I like I yeah. like this little break to the... Pressure's off. Just you and me. I enjoyed it. Let us know how you like this. I mean, uh, you know, we're not going to be doing this every month, but... No. Who knows? Maybe we will do it again. Yeah. We'll see. If we get yeah. some good I mean, feedback. really, if you didn't like this episode, it's it's your fault. You ask shitty fucking questions <laughs> if you didn't like it, you know? <laughs> like, get deeper. I can't believe no one didn't ask me about sex, you know? <laughs> You're... You had to do it yourself. I know. Like, <laughs> come on, I opened the window here. If I See, this is where I should have been a singer, you know? <laughs> Many of these singers I know decided to peel back the curtain. People, you know, what the fuck? Bullshit. Get out of here. Well, <laughs> follow us on Instagram at Going Off Track. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash going off track. Leave us a review, a nice, clean, tasteful, honest review of how we really make you feel. About Brad and his chicks. <laughs> oh. And uh, we will see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.